0: better betters. i'm the host spanky thanks for listening my guest this week is one of the most influential sports bettors of the 90s and 2000s he was the leader of the animal crew and he got down so big money it was unbelievable when it comes to philly sports betting this guy was the king please welcome my buddy tiger tiger thanks for coming on Thanks, Bank. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to talk to you. Great to see you, bud. Great to see you too, brother. So, Tiger, I always like to start with, how was life growing up? Uh, it was good. You know,
1: I was a, I was a suburb kid. You know what I mean? But just outside the city, and uh, you know, I, uh, I was kind of into gambling my whole life. Really, we were, you know, we we bet a little bit as kids, and you know, we were into that stuff. And life was good. You know, I got a job when I was younger at a. At a, at a restaurant in Overbrook, which was a you know bicycle ride from Havertown where I grew up, and uh, everybody in that place used to gamble, and uh, it was fun. It was my first exposure to real sports betting.
0: And when you Good. so so as a kid growing up in in the, in, the, in the Philly suburbs and all that stuff was sports betting was just everywhere. Everybody did it. Everybody you know whether tickets, football tickets, to you know guys calling bookies. Yeah. How was it? Yeah. So that's that's the thing when we, when I grew up we would play cards
1: we would be down the, at the schoolyard playing cards gambling on stupid things um, but we um, we didn't do a whole lot of sports betting. I when I went to um, when I worked at this place called Amelia's you know those, those there was bookies and betting in there and that's when I was first exposed to it and I then I got a job at a deli in havertown and you know so I had now I had two bookies I could bet with, you know, that I knew they could bet. So I was the only one in, in my high school that had a bookie. And then, oh, and somebody – one of them gave me football cards, which were basically parlay cards back then. And, uh, you know, you would pick, you know, three or four different uh, teams and get paid accordingly. You remember them at the bottom, ties ties lose or whatever, <laughs> or they were all half points. You know, so I would sell them, you know, when I was in high school. I remember, you know, giving them out. And, you know, the guys that turn them into to be some – and I had a bookie, so I would all my friends would call me to pour, call in their bets. So I would call in everybody's bets and stuff like that. And eventually, I realized, everybody loses.
0: Everybody
1: loses, including me. I'm like, and so eventually, I just stopped calling in the bets, and I was a bookie. You know what I mean? And uh, by the time I got to college, um, I was so busy with gambling. And I was doing other things, too. I was at a landscaping business, and I was just busy. I'm like, why am I paying money to go here? You know, i mean when i could be making a lot more if i didn't have to do this so uh so i dropped out and just bet full-time you know or gamble. well while i was booking at that time i was a bookmaker you know in the late 80s you know and uh you know that's what i that's what i did i was a bookmaker slash landscaper
0: you know so booking in the late 80s tiger how was it with respect to the pinches in the law was there any uh fear of, of of getting popped
1: Well, I mean, there was, but if you were small time, you didn't, you know, you didn't, we weren't that worried about that. It was pretty much unheard of that someone as small as me back then to get raided or anything like that. What might happen is that maybe somebody were hedging too, would get raided and get tied in with that, you know. But but, so one thing people need to realize is back in the before this, and Joe V. told me this, and I believe him, was bookmakers used to be extremely wealthy people before the casinos and like you know. Back then, they were very. They had, these guys had a lot of money and a lot of success, and nobody ever won before, you know, not in the Philly market before we started betting. So um, there was a lot of guys out there that, they, that made a lot of money booking. And it, when the casinos opened, they started making less and less, but they still had it. So and it was still and in the late 80s, pretty much, you know, the only way to bet was pretty much still. You know, you didn't go down to the casinos very often. You were pretty much still betting with your local bookmakers.
0: So there's a lot of money to be
1: made. You know, the market was strong. You know, for people who wanted to bet.
0: So you wind, you leave school, becoming a bookmaker, and you're able to have a good living as a bookmaker. Um, and and yeah. you didn't you said, hey, I don't need to do landscaping. When did you say, listen, landscaping? I don't even need that anymore. I'm just going to book. And I think
1: it was still the eighties when I quit landscaping. Probably you know 87, 88, somewhere around there. And I quit landscaping, and I had a, a regular job for like a couple months or a year, and I quit that too, and I just and I just basically bet, yeah. You better booked. You were bet. booking then. I, I, oh, you know, I say that. I mean, you know, I always did book. I meant, you know, I meant book. You know, it was mostly but in the late eighties. It was definitely mostly booking. Yeah. You know? So when, then, when did you
0: then... when did you wind up saying, hey, listen, I could supplement this bookmaking by betting? Because you know, did the light bulb come off? Did you see, right okay? Up, right yeah, a... you know, the light bulb. The light bulb, that light bulb was uh, taking bets from Mike Gar.
1: So he would win. And I was like, Wow, this is you know, this is possible. He's winning. This guy's winning. What's he doing? So I was fascinated with the lines moving and how what that meant, you know, games four goes to five, goes to six, you know, how often do these games fall on these numbers? You know, how much is that worth? You know what I mean? So and then I started, you know, developing that's when I really started getting bookmakers that I could bet with. And and I would make deals to try and get a percentage of the loss You know, like you could get a deal back then. You could get ten percent of losses right off the week. You know what I mean? So if you lost eighteen grand, you got eighteen hundred bucks. If you won eighteen grand, they paid you eighteen grand. Mm. You know what I mean? So I was trying to you know make money that way, and that was going good. And I was doing that. Um, you know, I, I mean, I we, I didn't take his bets very long. You know, I was like, no, this is, this is not because I saw the lines move too. I I, I could. I was at least aware, at least a, a little bit aware of that—that that these lines were moving. That he was betting, you know, they were moving, and I was didn't have any expectation of him doing anything other than winning. So, uh, so I stopped. I stopped, uh, and I just moved his bet. You know, but I was still a bookmaker, still doing okay, and. Um, so for those of mm-hmm. you guys,
0: Mike R is who uh, anybody that listed a Fats podcast. Mike R is who Fats are referred to as the businessman. Um, so Mike R, let's describe Mike R because I I, I didn't know Mike personally. I knew Mike Junior, his son, but tell me about Mike R. You know how, how you know when you got, had him as a customer, he kept beating you. You know how did that relationship start develop? Um, it was good. You
1: know, he I would go. He owned a lot of businesses, you know, and he's a very good businessman. He's very smart when he came to business. And I learned a lot from the guy, you know, and everybody did like looking around now, like so many people are, have been so successful that were his like disciples. And I think of all the different people in, in the Delaware County community that like came up through Mike, you know, and, and him as their, as their mentor, you know? So he was that type of guy. He, he wasn't that old when I met him either. He was probably, you know, I'm going to guess like 40 years old when I met him 30, late 30s you know, when I first met him, but he was still like super charismatic and super um, smart and, and helpful. And just, you know, he was, just a, he was a really nice person. Mike was a person like everybody looked up to him. And he, I wouldn't go in the office. He would tell me what he was doing. i betting this and betting that, you know, can you help me get down to get book, bookmakers? And I was like, yeah. So as far as bookmaking is concerned, I went partners with his buddy. Um, uh, his buddy Felix, and then we started, um, we were partners in that, and, and we also bet. So I worked under Felix for a while, and, uh, and it was going good. And I was so into the betting, what I did was I decided that I wanted to stop the taking bets entirely by the late 80s, and I wanted to just focus on betting, and I wanted to move to Vegas and just bet. And I told Felix that, and uh, that I was going to do that. And Felix told Mike and Mike called me into the office. This was only a couple of years after I started working with these guys, maybe less than two. And he said, I hear you're moving to Vegas. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, would you wanna stay here and go partners? And I was like, yeah. He's like, we could go like 50, 50 partners. And I was like, holy crap. You know what I mean? Like this guy wanted to go partners with me. And uh, I was like, well, you know, I think I only had like a hundred grand at the time. I was like, I got a hundred grand. He's like, well, give me a hundred grand. And I'll back the company and we'll bet and we'll see how we do. I was like, Oh, that sounds great. So then I went to the big office, which was so, you know, it was just me and fields and, you know, maybe one or two other clerks in small office. I went to the big office and was, and I got there and uh, I'm in charge like day one. Okay. Uh, which is, which was weird. Now these guys were all telling me what to do and now I'm Mike's partner and I'm the, and it's totally up to me to decide what to bet and you know, what to do. And, uh, and I met all these guys, all these, you know, Rooster was in there and, and Badass, who's the sheep and, uh, you know, Art Card and Seal and, and Danny Doyle, and all these people, they were all like, you know, one way or the other, they're all like different degenerate gamblers who would just, but to a man, they were all about betting the right side, you know, like, let's, you know, get the plays and just bet our brains out on the plays. And I had a very different idea of what I was going to do in that office. And uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't very smooth in the beginning. You know, I, I didn't, I was also younger than everybody in there. So it wasn't, um, it, that, I wasn't that well received because, you know, I was more about building powerful positions. And uh, so if, if a play, if the game, if, let's say, I, if a game was four, a basketball game was four and it started moving. Okay. If that game went to, you know, four and a half, five, five and a half, by the time that thing's popping five and a half, I'm laying the fours. You know what I mean? And I'm building that position up. I might bet 20, 30,000 minus four. Somebody comes in, wants to lay five. I'm going to put that person down for 20,000 minus five. Now I'm laying four and a half. Um, game's going to six, six and a half. But the truck guys are still only five and a half. The, truck outs are still, the bigger outs are five and a half. I'm grabbing plus six and a half. So it was about creating a powerful position. In the end, I might have only had eight grand on the favorite, you know, if, if the favorite at all. I wouldn't, look, if I got enough six and a half, the game was still five and a half. I wouldn't be scared of going with the dog. If the plus six and a half, I'd be, you know, because bookmakers would over adjust back then too. They didn't know what to do. Plays are coming in, they're winning. They just move the lines as much as, you know, too far and you go back the other way. So I was more about just building powerful positions where, you know, uh, there was very little chance, you know, I was going to lose, um, our friend Joe, our late friend Joe V, used to say when I would talk to him in the car about this, he would say, "Somebody's going to go broke, and it ain't going to be you." <laughs> that was his favorite. <laughs> he would, you know, Joe would do the same thing. You know, like Joe would do the same thing in his office. You know, and he was betting and booking, and he would do the same thing. He would like somebody would lay him three, he'd go like two and a half. You know what I mean? It goes to four, maybe if, he, if the two and a half's coming in, you know, it gets a lot of it. Maybe the game's only three and a half and four, he grabs plus four and a half. He's kind of kind of doing the same thing that I was doing and that was pretty much my vision for the company was to be a, a grinding money machine and it was working very well. You know, um, we were beating the bookmakers in Delco, we were beating their brains out, you know, and we were good guys and they were mostly good people and we would eventually, you know, uh, back them and we would back them and adjust their lines and they would work with us. So we had bookmakers we worked with and the other bookmakers we were just, you know, betting into, we were betting into the Philadelphia bookmakers which kind of became a little bit of problem at times, but you know, not that big of a deal. And, um, so it was going good. It was going really good and we we're making money. Then,
0: um, Mike went
1: partners with John, John came in and, uh, John is I I John, John is
0: John is Joe V's brother.
1: John is Joe V's brother. And like I said, I think i told you this before, like John and Mike were very like-minded, you know, they were pretty much still like the right side type people. And Joe was more like me, you know, and, uh, I'm, I'm, let let, I'm let me just let me just,
0: let me just introduce the audience, yeah. just because. So Joe is Joe Vito, the late great Joe Vito, who was you know known as a gentleman yeah. bookmaker, one of the nicest guys the industry's ever seen, one of the nicest guys I've ever met personally, and a gentleman, yeah. you know, class act all around, um, one of the best. So I just want you know, and obviously you'd agree to that. Tiger is yeah. one of the best Absolutely, guys. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And John's a great guy. It,
1: like John was a great guy. I mean, he. but me and John and Mike started to clash, you know, and it was more about how you know, it was more about like this whole um, mentality of being on the right side versus, you know, building powerful mathematical positions that were going to win. And, um, and John, uh, ultimately John got um, Billy Walters to call. You know, I remember Mike didn't, didn't call me one day. I was in the office working Said Tiger, you know, you got to come to Yang Ming and you got to like, got to meet me. And I got great news. And I was like, all right. So I drive out there and sit down in Yang Ming. And that place was good and all hanging out. And she's Oh, we got, we got the best thing ever. We got Billy Wallers going to call the office and uh, we're going to make tons of money. This is going to be the greatest thing that ever happened to us. And um, I was like, okay, great. Whatever. That's cool. You know? So he's calling and um, he wants these very same games. We're already betting and he wants to bet them. And he wants to bet, you know, Mike made a deal with him where we get all of it. You know, so if we got 40,000 minus four in a football basketball game, um, we had to give Billy 40,000 minus four. And uh, we got a 25% free roll on that, uh, something like that. But
0: at the end of the year. We
1: also, yeah, at the end of the year, whatever. We're going the end of the year, end, of, end, of, end of that season for that, you know, <laughs> it was basketball, be end of basketball. But, but the truth of the matter is, look, we were giving 25% of free rolls to our movers.
0: Mm.
1: We had movers and stuff like that. And I was like, if this isn't working for me. I was looking at the impact of these tickets that were going out to Billy out of our company. And you know, to me it was like, all right, I'm going to be making a lot, you know, like having to collect a lot of money and send it out to Vegas every week. And you know, and we, used to, we had people in Vegas, it used to be Vegas was sending us money. I'm like, this is not a good change for this company. This was too, it was too much stress. And I was like, Mike, how are we going to win doing this? And Mike was of the mindset, like, we'll just lay five. I was like, hold yeah. on, not you know, so you can't just lay five, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really work that way. It's not that easy, you know, uh, these day-to-day sports will grind you to death. Like, it is all about the numbers on the day-to-day, you know, you're betting baseball every day or basketball every single day. It's all about getting good numbers. It's gotcha. all because the basketball games fall. Yeah. So you need to build positions where you you have a good uh, you have a good position so you can't just say well i'll lay four and four and a half give that to billy and then i'll lay five for myself you know what i mean like if you want to lay five mike you can you can lay that right here i'll, yeah. I'll, I'll let you lay five yeah. you know what i mean so that's that's that was what i was all about and um so let, let, let me
0: let me just go, let me just go back a little bit. So so right now yeah. you're running you're running a business where you're able to get ahead of the moves. How are you able without Billy? You know, calling you guys direct because that takes talent to be able to know if, if you're not having the guy that you know that's trying to bet the same stuff that you're betting. If, if he's not calling you direct, how did you know that that line was going to go from four to five and a half six?
1: That, that is a great question, and you you know what this will blow your mind. But what we actually used to do is we would call for rundowns. And this was something Mike invented, which was genius. Like, you know, Baba's job and our cards Hart job was to sit across the table from me and call. You know, one bookmaker's name was Food. and He probably knew who he was, but he wasn't Food With You. Another was Junior. He probably knew who he was, he wasn't Junior. You know, these big New York bookmakers, we would call Ronnie Saka, we were calling these people for rundowns. So he'd call and it was a board, shit to write every line down. And then they their job was, so if that guy got to a game that was four and it was now five and a half, they're like, Tiger, Sixers just went to five and a half. And you have to yell that out. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Call Junior and ask what the Sixers are. He's five and a half also. Shit, he's five and a half. So that's how – there was no Don Bass. That's how you had to monitor the lines. Like, shit, these guys are going to five and a half in New York. And, 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 and Ronnie Sacco, wherever the fuck he was at the time. You know, so he's five and a half. So that's how we got the changes. So it's like, all right, these guys are going to five and a half. This thing's moving. Right, we got to lay four. You know, we're going to lay four and, you know, we would lay four and then keep our eye on it. And if, it was, if the move was solid, so back then, the answer was so slow. You can wait, really, say you can wait, you know? And so sometimes we waited a little bit. For the most part, we knew which ones we had to call quicker than others. So we'd start calling the quick ones and getting the fours. And then some of the really slow ones we'd call at the end if the move held up and add that to our position, you know? But it wasn't just about laying four and went went five again. The so so other, there was a New York guys who was got impacted who would go to six and a half we to be like, take six and a half. Watch. we just got forty grand minus four. Take the six and a half. You know what I mean? Because and you know, junior, as long as junior food, were still five and a half. Yeah, I'll take six and a half. Why not? I don't. I wasn't into the right size, Didn't really care. You was just about the liquidation. The other people that would come in want to lay five. Like you want to lay five? All right, you got twenty grand minus five. I got four, four and point eight. You're gonna lay five and taking six and a half. You know, if I got enough six and a half, I'd go in with the dogs.
0: You know, this I didn't is really this care. This I is such a beautiful number this is such a beautiful concept where there's no such thing as the right side. There's the right side at the right number. So in that thing that you just described, the right side was minus four and the right side was (laughs) plus six and a half. Right. right. So, you know what I mean? Everything depends on the number and a lot of people miss that. Okay. So now you're keeping all this, you're able to get this down. So when you try to explain to Mike R, Hey, listen, we're keeping all this minus four, we're building these powerful positions. Why should we give Billy? How was it working with Billy? Was he like, Did he want the whole thing? Forty thousand? Like, you know what I mean? He wouldn't. Yeah, like, that's I a mean, big look, position. Why would he? he you have to well, give him the whole thing. What good is that for well, you that's guys? Deal, yeah, that's the deal Mike made,
1: and, I, mm. and, and 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 in defense of Billy. So, and by the way, this carried out. I'm going to say my entire like rocky relationship with Billy. This is totally not. This is not something. This is not something that Billy was being unreasonable. Remember. He's the guy who made it go from four to five and a half. So in his mind, this is my bet. Now, yeah. my position wasn't unreasonable either. Like, you know, one thing I learned in life as I get older, reasonable people disagree. You know, my position wasn't, wasn't unreasonable either. Like, wait, these are my outs. Like, that's my minus four. He's like, well, that's, that's my game. You know what I mean? So even when I, when I end up in Vegas and competing for Lions for games and stuff like that, you know, in his mind, I'm stealing his money. Where in my mind, I'm like, dude, the game's five and a half. I'm fucking laying four. All right, give me a break. You know, so somebody catches a four to start us. And one of my runners and his runners, mad because he was in the bathroom, you know, that shit would happen. And it's like, I'm sorry. It came five and a half. I didn't still need anything. You I see a five and a half and lay a four. I don't care who bet it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, so that was a very, uh, that created a lot of stress on the relationship between uh, me, Mike and John. And, um, and meanwhile, oh, Joe had been in jail and he got out of jail. And then they had a conflict, John and Joe had a conflict and you know i just love joe to death death and i and, and john again nice guy from the world really really nice person and but him and joe couldn't be more different and i saw the world the way joe did so it just caused stress now you know looking back i wish if i had been more mature you know because i was a young, cocky gambler who was going to win and i knew it and um if i had been more mature i think i would have been able to do a better job of of saving the relationship and not letting the, the uh the animosity build to the point where I I was taking Mike's bets. I mean that's what it was end up happening. I was like giving him the minus four. And at the end of the season, you know, it was well, you know, those games freaking fall, man. And uh, at the end of the season he was down good money and I was up good money. And he knew it all we had. We ran everything out of the same company, you know, he, like the guys that did the I didn't even do the I didn't even do the um you know the results, of the, the the figures at the end of the day. Yeah. You know what I mean? The figure Oh uh, yeah, the <laughs> it so long. Yeah, did the figures? Yeah. So I didn't do the figures, but Mike knew. You know, he knew what happened, and and, and, and that built resentment. So it became an animosity relationship, and eventually, you know, I I I moved on. You know what I mean? I just like Mike. I'm I'm moving on. You know, it was just, it was no good. I should have saved that relationship. It was good. He was a good person. John was a good person, and uh, I was immature, and I should have done a better job of of explaining why I was doing the things I was doing and all that. So in the end, I, I, I ended up doing that. I went to Vegas, you know what I mean? I, I went on my own and I liked, you know, we had expenses back then too. Mike ran the company and he'd come in the office with a bag of cell phones and start handing them out like Christmas, you know, like lollipops. And every you know, the cell phone back then bill was a thousand dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was like these bills and, and the stress of this big company that uh, I was running and we were, I didn't want to take, I didn't want to be a bookie anymore either, by the way. And, you know, so I, at some point, I think I gave all my players to John and John was doing that. And I was just focusing on the betting and, but anyway, by the time I left Mike, it was, I just, just wanted to bet. You know what I mean? I really just wanted to bet because, you know, players was a lot of, you, you know, that too, you know, you think you've got 50 different guys, bet a hundred and 200, they're all paying and one guy comes in and you dumb enough to let him bet big and stiff it for 50 grand, and, you know, or he wins 50 grand two weeks in a row and then Ben stitched it for 150 you know what I mean it's like, yeah. so it's that, you know that got old I wasn't paying attention enough attention to that so you know I need to move on for that I wasn't the best bookmaker in the world should have just kept everybody small but it, you know I wasn't I didn't do that I was really focused on the betting and, and all that and so so I moved to Vegas and, and started doing that
0: okay you so know? you went so you moved to Vegas is there is, is the breakup with Mike Amicable? Like, do you, was it real hostile, would you call it? What would you call it? Well, at it? first it was a little bit hostile. You know, at first it was a little bit hostile. But we, we, you know, we, we managed to repair that relationship in the following years. Okay, that's good. So you, okay, so, so you got out to Vegas. Now, <laughs> do, does any of the crew come with you, or does everybody stay with Mike? Oh, yeah, a
1: couple guys did, yeah. So,
0: Bada, she came with
1: me, and uh, another guy named Pete came with me, and another one of my guys ended up coming out there, too, uh, Stevie. Yeah. So I ended up with three guys out there that were like, and we just kept it really, our big thing was keep it low key, run around, grab the good numbers, find a way to earn with them and just keep our expenses low. I wouldn't even pay these guys. I made them take free rolls. I said, look, you get, you get a little free roll. You know, I'm not paying you. Hope you have money back. We, we rented rented the house and everybody had a room. That's it. You got a room here and I'll buy the food. That's it. I'm not paying because I didn't want any bills. I wanted to just grind some money. We would go out there in baseball season and baseball was a grinding sport. You can make money grinding in baseball out there. You know, you, you wake up in the morning and you, you bet John Smalls and Tom and Glavine minus 67. And by, you know, 705 or 735, you're taking 90 or 200. You know what I mean? So it was like, you know, it wasn't that easy. You had to be careful. And, but, you know, it pretty much was. We, 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 we were grinding. And in baseball, you would build up a lead in baseball season, a little bankroll, And the first time you'd start actually betting, and you had to be right, was it was perfect because preseason came right at the end of baseball right before regular season and preseason was easy wheezy i mean that was just silly you know if you were reading and did a lot of hard work they would pretty much tell you what they were going to do you know what i mean and if you read between the lines you knew like this team's not going to play they don't give a shit um and this other and coaches had tendencies where you know you have to take notes you know i mean if you want to be professional at something you have to write down everything that's happening and so and you could use those notes the following season. It was very, big, very, very helpful. When I started taking notes, things got much better for me um, on the leads I would take and the things I would start betting. And I, I, I gradually became, went from a numbers person building numbers bets because I wasn't a handicap. I didn't know, I couldn't name players. I couldn't name, you know, I didn't know spots. I didn't know anything. I had to learn it all. And I was, the only thing that kept me alive all these years and people thought I was really sharp was the numbers. I was playing games with numbers I was the first person to mess around with the run lines in a serious way, and I discovered they were wrong, and uh, that was very helpful when you're betting baseball when you had a whole set of lines that was very very wrong, and uh, I figured out why that was, and it took me a while, but you know I figured that out. So
0: that get helpful. into that, get and into and that a little bit. Talk about the run lines back then. All
1: right, so so you know, Pete, what I would say, somebody. Who was it then? The, the lines were basically if you if you bet obviously a run line is a run and a half. So if you bet the, the Braves are you wanted they'd be a run and a half even, you know what I mean. Maybe back then it was run and a half flat or the favorite twenty. You could probably get you could probably bet the Braves minus the, the Braves minus two hundred, and if you wanted to play the middle, you could bet plus run and a half even. Now I didn't always play middles; it wasn't just about that. But, but I would, what I was trying to do was I was trying to figure out what they were worth. What was a run and a half worth? And how, and how much was that? So if somebody was betting the dog plus eighty, should I bet plus eighty or should I bet plus one and a half minus quarter? You know what I mean? And that took a lot of work. And I know something was wrong. And, and the thing that was wrong was the bookmakers used this flat 100 cents. So they were using pretty much a 100 cents on, no matter what it was on home, home teams, favored by one and a half. So what that basically meant was if you were a $1.50 favorite, dog would be plus one and a half minus 50. And if you were a two to one favorite, the run line of plus would be plus one and a half even. So it was 100 cents, but, but the math didn't make sense because as I was looking at the middles, um, if you play a middle of minus $1.50, plus one and a half minus 50, and the favorite minus 50, your odds would be basically you'd be getting four to one. You If you bet 10 grand both ways, you're risking 5 grand to win 20 grand. Right, Pretty simple. Yeah. Here's where it gets tricky. If you bet 10 grand minus 200 and 15 grand plus one and a half even, now you're risking five grand still, right? Because it's you know if the favorite loses, you're down five grand, right? Because you, you lost twenty and you but you won fifteen hundred on the dog, fifteen grand on the dog. Or if the favorite wins by three runs, you know you're winning ten but you lost fifteen grand on the dog. So either way, your, your risk was still five grand. Yeah. But if the favorite won by exactly one, mm-hmm. now you won tw- now you won twenty five grand mm-hmm. instead of twenty grand. So now you're getting five to one. I was like, wait a minute, that's that's interesting. So. Why are they using a flat 100 cents? I mean, they just didn't put a whole lot of thought into this. Well, there's a reason later on and I'll explain it. And, it get, and by the way, it gets you the better. So it, 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 it's four to one, you need basically uh, 20% to break even because it's one in five, which is four to one. So 20% to break even if you're getting four to one. If you're getting five to one, you basically need, that's one in six. So you need 16.6% to break even. And if you were getting, look, like, if you bet something like uh, minus 250, you could get plus one and a half, plus 30. And now you're down to like, that's like 12 and a half percent. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all you needed to favor to win by. And the thing is that, it, too, Spank, was these favorites, you know, the bigger the favorite you are, the more likely one of the things that I used to categorize the factors that influenced how often they fall one. Obviously, the number one thing was being home. There was a mm-hmm. lot. Of, you fall one a lot more by being home because the game ends as soon as you win by one. But, but th- there was also the, the more, the bigger favorite you were, the more likely you were to win by one because what would happen is, as you got closer to above 50 and closer to 200, 200, as long as you went too far above 200, it's easier to take, let's say you need um, 20%. It's easier to take 20 out of six. Let's say two to one favorite. Now you're a 66.6% winner, right? 33% losers. And I say two to one favorite, I mean a man-to-man price. So like the line would be 210, take nine, but the man-to-man price is two to one. So, so you're going to win 66% of the time. It's easy to take 20 out of 66 than it is to take 20 at a 50-50. Does that make sense to you? So it's yeah. like if a game's a pick, you know, stuff that – are going to win. So almost – geez, 40% of all the games have to fall one on these picks for you to make money. It's me 20%. Whereas if you are betting a two-to-one favorite, only less than a third have to fall one for you to make money mm. to get that 20%. So um, so that was one of the factors. The other thing, so I started noticing that these run lines were wrong. I tried to figure out why. And I, and I, and I had a theory as to why. I think that this, just people – would, would tend towards laying a run and a half when the lines got high because they don't like, nobody wants to walk into a casino with, I learned this in boxing, you know, nobody wants to walk into a casino with like 500 bucks and place a bet that wins you 82. <laughs> so you're handing them 500 and if you win, you get to come back and win 582. That's, nobody wants to do that. And I learned that in boxing when like, you know, some of these big favorites should have been much higher And back in the day. Um, and and they weren't, and it was just because the the action was dominated by the players in the casino. So now it's like you got to put yourself in their position. You're out, you're having a good time, you're partying. You know, Oscar De La Hoya's fighting Manny Pacquiao, or or he's fighting Mayweather, right? Now Mayweather at this point is like in the time of his career, but, but, but he's going to lose less than five percent to anybody, especially you know, especially like uh, uh, you know Oscar who is done. You know I mean it's kind of the end and so they put it up because it was a show they put it up like like six or seven to one and i was like well that's that's pretty cheap this is this is probably at least 10 to one maybe 20. you know he's not losing that fight. i can't be very happy but they, they had because they made money so anyway um i i think i did like 550 600 the lines dropping and and it's dropping and dropping like, what's going on here and the sharp guys in the in the, in the offshore was hot was always higher the consumer's dropping and it was as simple as people walking into the casino saying, I got 500 bucks in my pocket. I'm not putting out 500 to win, you know, $83. Somebody wants to do that. You, you want to put out, like, what you do is you throw, like, 200 bucks on Oscar plus 5 to 1 or 4 to 1. Because they're not, you know, the average Joe can't eyeball that. They can't even convert the fact, the guy's got a 5% chance. You know what I mean? Like, that's 20 to 1. You know what I mean? Like, they, they can't do that math. So, they're, they're, so these, the same thing kind of applied to the run lines where people would be like, well, I don't want to bet the Braves minus 250. You know I mean? It's like, I got to put out $250, come back and collect a hundred bucks. It's like, you know, I'd rather just, I still want to bet the Braves. Let me lay right in half. They're going to smoke them, you know? You know, they're not going to, you know, you know, Tommy Gladden's going to win by more than a run, by one run. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so uh, they just lay right in half flat instead of laying 200. By the way, at one point years later, it's true story. I think at one point it popped down, you know, Robbie, right? Yeah. So Robbie used to move for the kosher's kosher's used to lay run lines on these big favorites instead of instead of laying the, the, the price, which was which blew my mind. I was like, Robbie write these tickets. I was I was down there watching thinking about investing with him. And these guys would come in and lay around half flat instead of like two hundred. I was like, Oh my god, this is the thing I just saw. These guys were like and they were they were one of the best handicappers ever, but they didn't do the—they weren't doing the math conversions that I was doing and looking at how often these games fell. Won, obviously, because they would do that, and you know, Rob, Robbie, you know, one—we had conversations about run lines, and you know, Robbie had a party writing those bets and, and uh, laying the juice and and you know, booking them minus run mm-hmm. of half because it was wrong. You know, the games fell a lot, and and one of the things we would look at—we became masters of these run lines. You know, I would look at the um, the National League versus the American League you know, the National League fell more. Now it was mostly correlated with the total of the over-under. So the lower the total, the more often they fell. But we also had it broken down into the, the parks. You know, I remember one year, like the Mets would fall like 23 to 25%, like five years in a row, like that's a lot. That's a lot of ones for that park. And I don't even know, I was never sure exactly what caused the different parks to have different results, but they did. And it was predictive. I mean, you can count on it. It was, it was pretty solid stuff. The totals were low, they fell more often. Um, the tiny year was one of the things I looked at. It was very interesting. So you you, you wouldn't know this, but before the All-Star break, the games fall one more than after the All-Star break. And that was because the way the teams were, were managed. So you're playing a game at the beginning of the season in the first half, wins and losses were like, like more valuable to the to the managers, they really wanted to win. And the way they would substitute the pitchers were maybe even on offense. The way they would uh, bump the guy over, it was always meant to keep the game tight. Let's they would just try and hang on to these uh, in these games where they were down a little bit and play conservative and just try and really grind out runs. And just you know maybe they leave the better pitcher in there or they leave the guy when he's burnt earlier to try and save that game if they're down a run and it would save the game a little more often. Now it wasn't a big difference; it might have been like two percent. But 2% is a huge deal when you're betting. You know what I mean? So it was they were 2% more likely to fall one before the All-Star break than after the All-Star break. You start adding in, you know, um, the over, the totals, the parks. We even started looking at pitchers. Um, you know, we really had a good idea of what to bet on these uh, plus and run on the half. And, and it opened up the whole baseball season for us. Because now, like, if the run line range was, for some reason, the game was uh, – say dog 30 and, and the favorite was only $1.70 enabled you to take a lead you know you know you're going to you can be able to crush this one line plus right 30 if this game goes against you and, and we talked about Tommy Glavin you know you, you were trying and bet the grace minus 67 in the morning and you know, see how high it would go and I, I wasn't a handicapper I just happened to notice they go up every day back then you know the hot teams would go up every day so you could take a lead minus 67 you know maybe you know scoop up a couple 68, get it going, you know, now all of a sudden you're seeing the 71s pop 74 because I just laid 67 with somebody else, and I was a winning baseball player, even though I didn't know anything about baseball handicapping, so now I'm, I'm getting it going, somebody else, 16, you know, it's popping 80, you know, I, I made mean, that game made close 200, and I never touched the plus run in 30, but I could have, which was huge when you're laying a tar 67 yeah. on the favorite, you know, you, you knew you had that out, This is why they call them out, it's the way they get off the game, it's like, ah, oh, shit, coming back, don't take a run out 30, you know what I mean, we'll just You know, we'll just do that and hope it falls one because we knew that that was an error. So
0: it opened up the whole baseball season for us. So you know, in in what you're talking, Tiger, because this is this is really good. This is great, great stuff. Would you say that knowing which way a line is going to move is actually more important than winning a game? Yeah, it
1: it was. It, it, It certainly is. In day to day sports, it is. You know, on the Super Bowl, maybe not but then the Super Bowl is usually back in the day was dominated by soccer money. So it didn't matter that much, you know, maybe not the NFC to jail, but it, in the day-to-day sports, those number hits will, that, that's the most important thing is knowing which way it's going to move. If you like the underdog and it's going to go up. You better wait. You know what I mean? And if it's, you like the dog and it's going to drop, then you better hurry up and get that best number. That was my thing. I wasn't, wasn't Not, that into the hands that's, that, that's, you know?
0: that's what we do also how how important is that talent and how do how did you fine-tune that like how did you get so good at it um you know just it's it's interesting just to hear that
1: yeah well you know what you had to be laser focused you know you have to focus on you know you had to come in and find out you know you, you know you create a sheet every morning you write down the name of the teams you work in baseball you got all the teams here you got the lines from all the different outs you know uh, Eventually, we had the Don Bass, we had those outs up there, and you knew what the lines were doing and where they were going, and you knew exactly where to go to get what you needed to get to keep building your positions, always trying to make up one or 2% on everything you bet. You know what I mean? I'm laying 67, that means I could take 71 or 69 somewhere. You know what I mean? And it was and it was all about focus. You know, a lot of, I, you know, you interviewed Fats, and I love Fats, and he's the greatest. But that's his biggest problem was he was always focused on the wrong things. He would be, he was about people. He's a people person. So my buddy Chip went out there to run, be a runner for Fats. And I remember Chip went the wrong way. He went like down to when and should have cut over to Charleston and gone up Charleston and down that way, whatever. And Fats gave him like a half hour speech about which way to drive to the quickest way to get to the startups. So you got to go in the back and all that. Meanwhile, you know, lines are moving all over the place. It's like, you know, that's, you gotta focus, man. You gotta be like focused. You care about every penny on every game and what what it's doing. It also would help with like so those guys would their phones. So you know, you know, you know, Walters would come in, you know, basketball every night, you know, and uh, like six to six thirty was the phony half hour. You know, and they bet all those things the wrong way. And uh, if you were paying attention, you would notice things like, hey, they missed that guy. They, you know, they, they laid they laid five at all these guys and they missed the score and a half over here. You know, like, yeah, that's kind of, that's fishy to me. You know what I mean, or they missed this big out. So they yeah. bet got all these 10 down outs, and then they missed the 20 guy time guy. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> so if you, really, if you were really focused, you'd be like, all right. So, so now they're laying five, five and a half on a game. And you, you happen to remember they missed a couple fives on the way up. You know what I mean? They, you know, you're we quicker to grab a six and a half versus definitely grab a seven. Shit. You know what I mean? So but that focus, like that was, that's huge. Like you've got to have that intensity when you're in the office and you're watching this, you've got to know, like, wait, me, grab that seven. You know what I mean? And like, they turn around a minute later, it's four and a half. You're like, shit, thank God we got that seven. You know what I mean? You know, so it's like, stop, 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 wait five. You know, like, Go take six and a half now. You know what I mean? So you really have to be paying attention and you got to guard your position. So the minute that game starts, you know what I mean? You really got to, and, and I respected the money that came in. There's a guy named Buddy out of New York and he, he, he was a Mike guy. and He gave Mike all to the New York house. He was a gentleman. He was the nicest person in the world. Buddy Carmen. Carmen lot,
0: buddy. buddy Carmen you talking yeah, about? Okay, please. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We were, I, 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 you he,
1: remember
0: he just, Carmen, right? Yeah, me, me and Tugbo okay. were just at his funeral uh, probably five years ago. Five years past, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Great, one of the greatest. Great guy. Yeah, maybe he was yeah, six, seven. But yeah, go and ahead. Somebody told to me... me
1: I, yeah. A buddy told me to respect the money, Tigers. I got to respect the money. So wh- I didn't care if Billy Walker said it four. If the games went back to four. I fucking wanted off that bet so goddamn bad. Are you kidding me? Uh, you know, I, I respected the money, you know, and so it is what it is, you know. So, and, that's, and that kind of made me survive. Most of gambling is just survive. Don't blow out, man. Don't lose. You know what I mean? Just live the fight another day. And then good opportunities pop up, you grab them. You know what I mean? And then you get, and you get smarter and smarter over the years. You know, you'll you, you learn. And uh, you just want to hang around to grab, to take advantage of the good stuff that happens that's out there. Like, you know, I stumbled upon the run lines, stumbled upon the threes in football, you know, uh, things you stumble upon wrong numbers, you know, good outs here and there. So you just want to stay in the game is long enough to do that. And I kind of got better at better at gambling at, at handicapping. As I, grew, as I got older, I got better, at, you know, basically handicapping the NFL. And it's too much work to do. It's all about focus. You know, it's all about focus. People would try and work every sport. Good luck to you, man. That's, you know, I cut there. I, I quit. I quit basketball first. And I've actually quit baseball. because it's just too much work, you know, and you got, you got to focus on what you're doing.
0: Now, when you say focus, you're talking about focus handicapping. When you say it's too much work, you quit. Hand- you can't, it's hard to handicap every sport. But playing numbers and being and knowing how lines are moving, you can do that all year round. Do you think?
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. You can do, what, but, it's, but it's still both focused. Like, you yeah. both, like in the end with gambling, with, with NFL, listen, just because I was handicapped doesn't mean I didn't focus on the numbers. Oh, yeah. I handicapped, I knew what I liked and I waited for it to start moving that way to play or waited, it was going against me, I waited. It's still, fo- it's an art form. You have to, they're totally different things. Knowing, like working the numbers and, and handicapping, toll, two totally different art forms, two yeah. totally different sciences that you have to mesh together and, 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 and make them work together in a strategy where you're just
0: being careful, uh, you know, when you place your bets and how and, and all that. So, so you're one of the few so, guys I ever yeah. known that was so good at both. You were a great handicapper where you, you knew the right, you know, you, you were able to know the right sides. You did a lot of great reading and you also had the art of knowing which way the line was going to move in the numbers. If you had to just choose one skill, Let's just say, if you have to hone one skill, um, for anybody that's an up-and-comer or something that's an important skill, if it was just one of them out of the two, which do you feel is more vital?
1: I, honestly, I think the numbers are more important. Gotcha. You know what I mean? The numbers are more important. If you're and if you're at the end of the day, if you're not beating the number, and you and, and beating the number, you, there's a lot of ways it's going to cat. Beating the number means maybe you laid uh, one and a half on a basketball game and it closed. Great. Okay, you beat the number. Or maybe you laid two. And, it, and, and somebody laid two and a half with you and it closed two and a half. Well, you still beat the number. You know what I mean? A, you know, so, so, or maybe you laid one and a half, it took three and a half and it closed two and a half. Well, you beat the number, you know what I mean? Like, so there's a lot of ways to beat the number, but if you have to be honest with yourself and look at the sheet, what you bet and what your positions are and say, is there value here? You know, it's not that, look, back in the day, we didn't know, nobody, I was one of the first people that would keep track of key numbers. I say, how often does a game fall three? How often does it fall ten? How often does it fall seven? And then you, once you know those percentages, you know if you beat the number. If the game falls seven, six percent of the time, and you lay six and a half, close seven and a half. That's a fifty-six percent winner, right? So you're gonna beat the you, you beat the number. If it closes seven, dog twenty. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Six and a half. What, what, what do you feel? Nothing. You got to be honest about that with yourself. You know, and say, where am I gonna? How's this? This is, how's this gonna work for me? You know what I mean? So you really need to earn on that six and a half. It's going to close seven dollar twenty to say you beat the number. I don't know that you did. Yeah. You, know?
0: yeah. you, know? you got to beat the number by enough to overcome the bookmaker's vig as a sports bettor. Yeah. And uh, yeah,
1: and you use that, and, and to do that, you need to know how often they fall. Mm-hmm. And if it's, a, if it's a run line, you need to know how often it's going to fall that number. If it's if it's a basketball game, as you know. Even basketball, they fall a little different. You know, I remember by the time I was done, you know, I remember like threes and fives and sevens were like kind of a little more important than one and two. You know what I mean? I don't know why, but they were, you know, like, or, yeah, one and two was strong too. But, but, you know, four wasn't that great. I think I remember looking at these things. One wasn't, two was good. Yeah, it was like two, three. Five seven. Does that make sense to you? I don't it's know. exactly yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. One yeah. is never one is one was always the weakest one because one would always gone yeah, be, because yeah. of the intentional foul. One was was always the yeah. least live of them all. But yes,
1: right, right. So so that so you need to know so so you know the percentages so you know you laid a dollar ten so now you know you need to you need a fifty three percent winner you know to uh, to win and if the game's two and a half and you laid one and a half and two is four percent. You're good. That's 54. percent But you really don't even want to cut it that close. You know, if you're doing this for a living, you need to, you know, try and earn somehow
0: on that. Absolutely. That this is beautiful, Tiger. I'm loving your wisdom here. Thanks so much for sharing it, brother. So let's go back think to no like, think, let's go back to now you're, now you're on your own in Vegas. You you brought a couple of the crew with you. Are you betting in the casinos? Do you have your own crew? Do you use Fats at all? Or is yeah. Fats still work with Mike You know, or does Fats yeah. help you out well, a little bit? Or what what happens there?
1: Well, Fats was on and off over the years, you know, but we were, were always super friendly, you know, um, even when he, I think he stayed with Mike when I went on my own, but me and Fats were still friends and then he ended up having a conflict with Mike too, but, you know, and then he made up and they were buddies again. And, um, you know, so, but me and Fats worked on and off and he would help, you know, at one point in the seat, you know, when I really had these run lines down, Fats was a big help because he was moving for different people. So I had his runners for free. All I had to do was give him money. You know what I mean? He would bet, and I would give him run line ranges, and we would start to build positions on the bargains. I didn't want to, like, to tell you the truth. Looking back now, I should have fucking pounded those things, but I didn't. I would always like pick off good enough because I didn't want to change the odds. I didn't know. I didn't want them to know that a dollar seventy favorite in the National League should have been like a fifty five cent dog on the run line. You know, I didn't want them to know that when they were losing, they were using thirty as you could find quarters. You know what I mean? And the total was seven and a half or something like that. So I would pick off run lines, and I actually liked when the favors would go way up, and I would leave those things on. leave them alone, let them sit there. there's a good chance this game goes to eighty. What the hell are we doing that for? You know? So I would just use them strategically to try and um, build positions, and uh, and I didn't, I never, I never pounded the shit out of them the way I really should, because they were really wrong, and I, there was nothing stronger than you know. And the game's 200 and the, and the lines drop and the total 700. You're taking a run on half even and flat. I mean, there's nothing stronger than that. You know what I mean? Like and I and I haven't checked these numbers in a decade, maybe two decades. But you know, they fall. These things fall and 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 you know, who was, the Ben and Teller show. The, uh, Teller, the tall guy, he would say he had a saying he said, who knew math was a renewable resource, but it is. So these lines can stay wrong for a long time because the casinos don't care if they're using the red line. They care if they're winning or losing. So if they're if they're using a run half flat more guys are laying it than taking it, that run a half flat ain't going nowhere. It ain't going to dog twenty anytime soon. Cause there, you know, seven out of ten guys, eight out of ten guys are walking in laying a running half flat, and only one and, and I'm the only one coming in and taking a a half even or flat, they're not moving it. You know, so they're gonna stay wrong. They're making money, so what do they care?
0: Exactly. If that makes sense. No, absolutely. So, all right, so, so, so now, you know, um, let, let's talk about preseason also because that's when I kind of, like, learned about, you know, you, you know, when I was coming up in the business, I, I know that you were big into the preseason, um, and I know Seal helped you with that. I know Seal is a, a mutual friend of ours. Let's talk about, yeah. you know, important with a, when it comes to reading and, 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 and all this stuff and, and information. I think, that, you know, you were a big... Yeah. That, that was when
1: Seal was really the genius of like early season, you know what I mean? He was like, I relied on him. I respected him so much in preseason and he really taught me so much about this coach is going to try this quarterback's not playing. This backup is a stud. This backup sucks. You know what I mean? Like you had to know the backup quarterbacks. You had to know the coaches and you had to know the strategy of what, and what was going to, what was going to go on. And he knew it all. He had it down pat and he taught me it and I learned from him and, uh, and we, I did really good. When I left, he stayed with Mike, but, you know, I had all that knowledge with me. So, and I knew, and then in the beginning of the season, he did real well too. Because in the beginning of the season, when you're betting college or pro, it's more about like, it's the same work for preseason as it is for the first couple of weeks of the season. So it's like, who got better, who got worse, and why? You know what I mean? So, you know, Bengals are going to play Cleveland. You know, they played last year, line was great. You know, you know what's, what happened? The Bengals got better, Cleveland got worse. You know, you're laying a three. You know what I mean? So, and he would know that. He would know, oh, this team's not ready. He knew which coaches coached in a way. You know, Belichick was like a, a Parcells guy, where Parcells would hit in preseason, week one. You know, they were hitting like crazy back then. They are like, no, we got to be ready. To, you get hit, it's a different thing. Like, you know, it's a different thing. So the more you get hit, the more you're ready to be hit. So these, play, these coaches back then was when a lot of coaches were starting to lean towards non-contact, in preseason or very little contact in preseason well guess what the Patriots came ready to play man you know what I mean the Giants back there they came ready to play so what that helped you too week one you knew who was who was ready who wasn't you watched the preseason games that was huge nobody have the players that football they don't watch a preseason game they come in week one think they're gonna bet and you know you know which quarterbacks which systems you know new so you get a new coach and a new system and they're struggling with that system you know it's not that hard you know to to quantify that and say okay this this line was six but it's only it's five well i am taking five you know the defense ain't working on the offense to learn the west coast offense it's hard to learn the west coast offense you know the the running backs are dropping the ball they're running the wrong way you know the quarterbacks you know are confused so you know you would see these things and that was the key to betting i would say the first definitely three weeks was just reading and you could beat them by just reading and being and being more on top of who was doing good and who was doing bad and um but by the middle, you know, so Steel would start to struggle every year. I noticed this too. This guy really struggles. Like by the middle of the season, by the end of the season, he's almost blown it, you know? And it was because um, you know, you have to you have to really start adjusting these teams to the opponents they play. And I was doing this thing, I was taking the average run per play, and the average pass per play, and I was adjusting it against the other teams defense. So It wasn't just it wasn't just like, okay, the average run per play is, you know, 4.1 yards per carry and you're getting 4.3. So you're you're 0.2 better. No, you had to do it like, okay, so the teams you played against, they give up. Let's say they give up 0.3 or 3.9. Well, now you're 0.4 better because they're two points better. They're 0.2 better than average. So you have to add that on. It's like, now you're, you're pretty good at running the ball. Or I say, I say they're 0.3 better than that. And why that matters in the beginning of the season is because you can play three good teams that are dramatically different. But by the end of the season, you know, the difference in opponent's schedule is not that much. You play the good teams and you play the bad. You know, it's week 16. You play them both. You know what I mean? For the most part. You know what I mean? So the schedule's to change. But in the beginning of the season, you might play three teams. And by the way, you might play three teams that don't even look that great. But if you break it down and look at their stats, they're actually pretty, they're actually playing pretty good. So I would run like opponents and opponents versus opponents and just do it over and over again. until I was really sure, like oh, this defense, this one defense is really good. I'm very sure this one defense is good. And, and you know, and, but we, we still, you know, this, this other team still ran good. So you would adjust for opponents and you would give each offense a power rating based on how well they ran, how well they passed, and then give them an overall power rating. And you do the same thing for the defense. And you do it over and over again. So you were very confident in your power ratings and you would get very surprising results. A lot of times. Now, the other it, it, the thing you have to do is you have to have common sense. Though, what you really look for when you look at stats is how is this team the same as last year? Because last year's number, even in week three and four, still matters a lot. So you're looking and saying to yourself, "Is is this team? Um, is this just a fluke? Is have things changed? Now, if a team is running a new system, and let's say the last year they were even an average team." Let's say average on defense, offense, run, pass, all that, right? Just to make it easy. And the following season, they're coming up like six or seven points below average, you know, offense, defense, all that. Well, they got a new coach. They got rid of a couple of key players. So you're not going to regress that. You're not going to adjust that to the knee much at all because, you know, they're coming up like they're bad on defense, they're bad on offense, and it's all new teams, all new coach, new systems, new players. They probably are bad, right? Now, if you're doing uh, – you know, a team that's usually pretty good and and uh you know they're they're it's all the same it's all the same players, it's all the same systems, it's all the same coaches, and they're coming up point, you know, or seven points worse on offense and defense, they're coming up really bad. You're gonna regress that to the mean of it, meaning you're not gonna use this team is not seven points below average because there's no noticeable way to see that they've changed. So th- the the stats are like insight into what's happening on the team, and you have to marry both of them together. If you don't, you're dead. If nothing. There's no reason for them to change. You know, the quarterback's not hurt, and you know, he's moving okay. You know, the offensive line block. Like, and you know, you're so you have to regress that. Like, because teams, most things, like, you know, especially over unders and stuff like that, they regress towards the mean. You know, everything regresses towards the mean. Meaning, like, if the average in the NFL is 45, you made the total 60, you probably want to use 55. You know, you're like, it's probably you know going to probably not going to get to 60 you know what i mean it's going to regress these teams are going to slow down they're going to calm down you know so it's the same thing with the size same thing you have to think be common sense and make adjustments based on that and other teams have what i used to call like a statistical profile so if you did new england patriots for instance you know if you handicapped their defense on the yards per carry and runs per carry and all that they weren't all that good you know what i mean it's like i expect it took me I paid for my education. I had to lose for a while before I figured all this stuff out. Like New England had a statistical profile basically every year, and they were on offense too because the playing call was so good. They were better than the stats showed. So if you came to the conclusion that New England was an average defense, they were probably four or five points better than that. Because they played Ben don't break, and they didn't break. And they really and they did it every year after year, and that's predictive. And you have to adjust to that. Or you're dead, you can't just go in there and be like, No, they're four points better than they're four, but you'll be betting against New England every week. And and, and they're not there, and that's not that that wasn't a good strategy in the 2000s, you know what I'm saying? So, you have to actually make adjustments because there are times to bet against New England. but you have to know. And and the, no one is by accounting for the fact that this team is is better than their stats show because of the coaching, because of Brady, because the Ben don't break defense, all those things added up to. You might have New England three points better than average all season long. You you better use seven or you're going to be betting against them because that's just, and, and, and seven ain't wrong. It, it ain't wrong. It was a reason for it. And giving an example, the Eagles were probably the opposite. So back in the day, the Eagles, you know, I mean, remember they had have and he ran and passed and it was like their offensive production was amazing. And their defense was super good, you know, like, but the Eagles would break down and, you know, and fall apart defensively and allow like, All these touchdowns, like the end of the first half, the end of the game. And so, and same thing on offense. And Eagles threw the West, so they threw every down. So, you know, when you throw, you get more yards than when you run. So if you looked at the Eagles, you might have them like, you know, like eight or nine points. If you use the stat, you might have eight or nine points better than than the average overall. But they weren't. You know, they they weren't eight or nine points better than the average overall. They weren't as good as New England. You know what I mean? But that was their statistical, I like to call it a statistical profile. And when you get to know each team, team by team by team, it's very helpful when you're looking at the stats from last year and the stats from this year, and you say, well, you know, they're, they're, playing, they're really getting beat up I every mean, week. What's going on here? If the stats are the same, right, or close to the same, or, or, or there's, you also have to you know, throw out the if there's one crazy game where they'll you know, give up 55 points. The, the system broke down somehow. You know, you got to discount that. You know what I mean? So you have to notice these things. So you kind of have, there's a lot of nuance to handicapping. You have to be like, now nah, this team is going to be okay. There's no way they're going to come back. And if you if you start doing this work, the thing, the beautiful thing that happens is they start betting what you think. Like, if you really start doing this work and you start out, they're going to start, they'll start, you'll start to see that, oh, they're going to play this. Oh, they're going to play that. Oh, no. You know what I mean? Oh, no way. Cincinnati's not, they should be getting touch seven and a half. No way. You know what I mean? So you'll, you'll start to get to the feel for the right size, but you've got to just work it and all that. And then the other thing I want to say is towards the middle of the season, you know, um, and you're looking for spots all your own, you look for matchups all year long. you are, but the spots and matchups start getting more important after the middle of the season. And the most important thing I can say about spots is you need to know the difference between a set and a subset. So in a set, it might be, so you take home field advantage, for example. So that's a big set, right? 49% of all NFL games that are played other than like you know London, uh, there's a home team, okay? And that's like three points. Everybody uses like three points for that, right? But there's subsets inside that, you know? So if you look at the subset inside that, you have like, like let's say the Eagles go up to New York week one. <laughs> well, that's a, a 90 minute ride up the turnpike. That's not worth three points. And then, or, you know, and let's say you're gone to Seattle. Week 15, you know what I mean? And then it was how loud it was, and you're coming from Miami. Well, that's, that might be five points. So, the real answer, which gets you better, and everyone uses as big a set as they can because uh, all people who work with numbers and statistics, they want bigger sets. So, they, and sometimes this works against them, and we can talk about that later, but, but so they want bigger, bigger set, the more they, they feel it's more predictive. But the problem is, you really need to look at the subsets too. And then you start to realize, wait a minute, you know, the Eagles are going up in New York. You know, this is week one, man. They're coming to play. Are you kidding me? You know what I mean? There's no they're, – they're, the, or vice versa, Giants are coming down. but They're coming to play, man. This is not like – this is not worth like, you know, you know four points, you know, because the Eagles and all that. You know, so you have to make – you have to look at the subset to make better decisions, and there's a feel. And, then, and, and you take notes. you got to take notes on everything you do and why. And you'll notice patterns. You, if you're making a mistake – and you're reading your notes. like, And I used to read my week two notes from the year before going into that week. And I would say, no, oh, every week till I did that last year. And I mean, you would notice something. You'd have to do it again. So if you, let's say I would take three amp on a half football game that would go to four. And that would happen to me, you know, 12% of the time in 2000. In 2000. By taking notes and reading those notes, by 2005, that might have been, you know, five or 6% of the time. You know I mean? That really went down. And now, now you're talking, you, you know, you doing work and working hard and paying attention is really having a dramatically positive effect on the value of the things that you bet. And, uh, that's, you know, that's what, that's what, you know, gambling is all about is having, uh, you know, things on the sheet that you bet is valuable and don't worry about what you didn't bet. You know, everyone's worried about, I remember in in office. Everyone's Tiger, you know, Dinkie's killing it with hockey. You know, it's like, great. I love Dinkie killing hockey, but you know what? I got to worry. I got this run line here, man. I'm worried about what I bet. You know what I mean? You got to worry about what you bet. Don't worry about what somebody else's bet. We're very, very tremendously about what you bet, why, and what that line's doing until that fucking game starts. You know what I mean? You'll be okay. I don't know if that makes makes sense. It's amazing,
0: amazing, fascinating. Tiger, brother, I can listen to you talk all day, my man. Real, real good stuff, bro. Oh man. So i got to take a breather after that one, man. That was good. (laughs) That
1: was just, you know, that was just some NFL stuff. Like, you know, you could talk about these things all day, the run lines, the NFL, you know, the three counts. We, you know, the, the other thing that helped too was the threes really helped us in the NFL because, you know, we knew we had the theory that the, Two point conversion was going to make my theory was the two point conversion was going to be, become stronger after the threes were going to become stronger after that because I had been watching the NFL for years and these NFL is a very conservative organization and they were not going to score a touchdown and go for two and the game is tied you know there if somehow a game got on a weird number like eight and you're down eight you're going to use that two point conversion to bring it back to a tie or if you're down you know, 15, you might go for two to bring it back to the team numbers. You're not going to go – you're not going to be up seven and score a touchdown and try and make it 15.
0: So exactly. Same as exactly if you're, if you're down five. If you're down five, you score a touchdown. Yes. You're going to go for two to yes. go up three.
1: Exactly my point. So yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking about. So so going into this, going into this coming out of the no two-point conversion era, you know, three was already like almost 10%. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah. It, didn't, it wasn't a whole lot before, before. It didn't take a whole lot of movement to make minus two and a half and plus three and earn. Yeah. You know, imagine that if we are trying to take leads, how strong that is. You talk about needing to be to get off bets that aren't moving your way or there's some sort of problem. You know, that was very, very powerful stuff. Now I'm killing it all season in baseball. I'm killing it in preseason. Now I'm coming in in early NFL. I'm just making shit up. You know what I mean? Game starts going to three and a half. I just come in and pound the threes. More I care? You know, odds are half the people are going to go to four anyway. So now I'm like, so I sit back and work. And I'm not even, I'm so, I've got so many outs, so many small outs and all that. Like, I'm 82% sure the minus three is a phony anyway. But I'm going to wait and be patient and let it work and let it process. And half the time, always coming in behind me, at least three and You know what I mean? Because he like, he's made game one. You know what I mean? So, and then you just sit back and you wait. Oh, this guy's going in. Yeah, grab that. Other oh, guy's five. You know, and so you, and then, you know, you could get off that bet. I could be the guy that made the game go from three to four and a half and have money – the game's still four and a half and have more plus five than minus three, and nobody even knows it. Yeah. You know, so and – that's, and that's the power of the three. Because you couldn't – you never have the ball to place that first bet if three wasn't 10 percent. Exactly. I mean, you're, you're dead. You're stuck on it, you're dead.
0: So. I always, whenever we're taking leads and we're playing numbers, it's so easier to lay two and a half than take two and a half. Because if you take two and a half yeah. and you're wrong, you're screwed. But if you lay two and a half and you're wrong, it isn't as bad.
1: Yeah, that's true. I, I, I have to agree with that. Just see, the key numbers um, soak up the results a lot and they, they do help you. You know, you can also, you know, if you, if you, uh, if you lay two and a half, you know you can get ballsy and try and take a dollar in a quarter. You know what I mean? And be like, you know, that's not that. Big, that's not the end of the world. And just you know, try and put fifteen cents in your pocket. And You don't really want to play that, or you know, take a dollar thirty-five in a perfect world. But you know, sometimes you might have to take the money line if it really is the right side. And the game's playing down. Dropouts going to one. You're yeah. scooping up the quarters anyway. So you you know you know that you know so exactly. you're going to get off that team. Yeah.
0: So okay, so you're, you're in Vegas now. Let's, so you're, you're in Vegas. You're on your own. Um, let's talk about, um, you know, so um, any raids that you want to talk about? Maybe bring up the time. In the- <laughs>
1: yeah, I got, I got raided regularly. I was in, uh, after I left, Mike, we were, uh, I got, I was in Pennsylvania, and, you, know, uh, you know, out here in Delaware County, and I got raided. And uh, they pretty much thought I was a bookmaker, and I wasn't at the time. You know, I had stopped years earlier. And um, they thought I was a bookie. I wasn't a bookie. I was so stupid. I would try and like just explain it to the cops. You know what I mean? Like, well, let me just explain this to you. And I was like, no, that's not how it works. Like if you say something, even if it's truthful and it's exculpatory, they'll just assume you're lying. If you, if you say something that could be culpable and or twisted into becoming culpable, they're just going to use that against you. So talking to them and trying to explain I was no help. And, you know, we had computers in the office. Back then, I remember the cops being like, you've got computers in here. As if that in and of itself made me guilty of some sort of crime. I think because nobody was really gambling using computers and stuff like that. So if you're organized, you know, you're moving lots of money. And I was like, I was like guys, the phones aren't ringing. <laughs> you know, sit down and relax. The phones don't ring. You know, what I mean? like they, you know so uh, we weren't bookmakers. But anyway, I I would always make it. The, I wasn't like so. Walters was dropping up. He had his lawyers. and He. He was, you know, he was a more sophisticated person than me. And he would like fight to death. We got rated. I got rated again in Vegas in a Billy Walters race. He got rated. We got rated because somehow we were betting somebody that was betting our games. And he was betting somebody that was betting his games. So that so that was a common denominator. So they raided both of us. So um, so anyway, um, he fought and won. I ended up after like, I'm not kidding, like close to half a decade of fighting with them, of just being like, they said, Well, we'll give you 85% of your money back, you take a misdemeanor. And I was like, uh, you know what? I'll be out next month to sign the check, to sign the deal. You know what I mean? So I ended up taking a misdemeanor in like 2000, which was five years, four or five years after I got raided. So, um, or 2001, whenever it was, somewhere around there. And uh, that was that was crazy times. You know, they used to rate people. But I after that, I really, I really tried to be low key. I just wanted to be my own like little, you know, little gambling office just crying out a couple bucks because I didn't want to get involved with all these raids. Remember, you know, I got a wife and kids, you know what I mean? So I didn't want, I was not that guy who was like, you know, everyone has these glory um, images of people in Vegas betting. We just sat around and ate pizza and ate french fries and got fat and never left the house. So you know, that was the reality. You know what I mean? The uh, people's images of what, what was happening was much different. Like there was no glory. I never didn't go to the, the
0: casino as much, you know? So that's beautiful. Let's talk about a typical day running a betting office. Um, You know what happens, you know, from morning from wake up till time to go to sleep. You know how is it running a betting office? I think that'll be interesting. Well,
1: it's it's dramatically different in the different sports that you do. So if you're doing a day to day sport like baseball, you know, you're waking up in the morning and you're looking at the lines. And again, I'm not I'm not here to say which ones are right or wrong. I really wasn't. I mean, never even handicapped baseball. Other than following what the coaches would do, learn a couple of tricks from them, but not, definitely wouldn't call me a handicapper, just a guy who knew some tricks. And I would make my run line ranges every single day. So the game was a dollar seventy. If the total was high, I might be looking for a plus of one and a half minus twenty. If the total was low, I might be laying a quarter or thirty, depending on how low it was. You know what I mean? And you know, you're picking off those bargain run lines. And so you, if that starts in the morning, but you're watching the lines move if they're creeping up. You know, you're laying it, you know, and you're just trying to guard all your positions, everything that's coming in. But that's a day-to-day sport. Now, in football, and I'm going to ask this because in football, it's a dramatically different thing. In football, you have to make lines on the games. If you're a professional better, you think those games on Sunday? You're making lines for the following Sunday on Friday because you are finally got enough time. You bet your brains off. You're working so hard through Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday on the games that you're playing that week, you finally get a breather on Friday. You know what you do? You don't take that breather. You make the lines for the following week, okay? And you need those lines for the following week because when, you know, you're betting on this week's games all the way through Saturday night, you're waking up Sunday morning, you're checking the weather, the wind, injuries, you're watching the lines move, tweaking your shit. You don't have a second to think about the following week. So what you don't want to happen is so, so those games are played. You're watching them. You know, you're you know, you going to watch them, you know, and, uh, and see what happens. And, and, and those games are played. You're taking your notes. And all of a sudden, they're over. You're exhausted because you're running on the adrenaline. And here it is, 7 o'clock Sunday night. And the next, week, next week's lines games come up. You're, and some people put up – one guy puts up a six and a half, and someone else has got 10. And now this is when you're extremely glad that you took the time on Friday – instead of, you know, working more or instead of taking a break, to spend five hours making lines on the following week's games. Now, those lines aren't that great yet because you still got a whole week of games that aren't in, the, aren't in the lines. But all you need to do now is just tweak and adjust. So if you made a game, if one guy's got six and a half, another guy's got ten, and you look at that line you say, well, I made it six and a half, and then you look at the two teams that are playing each other. How do they play? Well, let's just say they both played as expected. So now you're six and a half. You can kind of eyeball that a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So you're like, well, they both played as expected. So now I'm gonna grab the 10. You know what I mean? Because there's no reason the six and a half ain't gonna be much. Now I gotta do a lot of work. So I gotta put in the new stats, adjust them for opponents and all that. And it would, and to be honest, the lines would move more than your eyeball would think. You know, if you looked and said, Well, the Eagles, they played the Giants, they won by four, they were favored by one, yeah, about the same. Look at the stats, nobody got crushed. Uh, I'm not really gonna change these right away. So you would do that. Uh, all 32 games to make sure, you know, because sometimes you might make it six and a half and it's 10. And meanwhile, the dog got killed. So it is 10. So you, there's nothing to do. You know what I mean? Maybe you lay in the six and a half, right? Because uh, one guy's got six and a half. You lay in it. He's like, I got killed. Lay laying in the six and a half. You know what I mean? So, and then you would, then the next day, you would wake up and make those changes and then re handicap, you know, uh, if you slept at all Sunday night, you know, if you slept at all, honestly, you, you re handicap all the games, all the totals, all the lines, get a little bit of sleep and wake up and get ready to start betting and now you're betting and the thing is, saving you now you're not even that sure of your gains because you know you, you still got a lot of work to do a lot of tweaking you want to get a good night's sleep and clear your head and think about what you like and why and who's doing what you want to read other people's stuff let me tell you you know you got ego in this business you're not going to be long for this world man you need to respect other people's opinions and why and i don't care who they are i don't care if it's a bullshit out service not it doesn't matter. If they're writing something that's remotely intelligent, if it's not intelligent, stop reading. But if it's remotely intelligent, and you know, you want to be reading that and finding out what they like and why. And now you're like, well, shit, that 10 I grabbed, I'm worried about it. Or, oh man, I love that. God, all these guys, yeah, they're right, they're saying these favors, no big deal. You know what I mean? So then, so you're, you're reinforcing your positions um, and your beliefs on, on, those, on those positions as the week goes forward and you're building up more. You're trying to grab more and more off numbers and just try and create as much value as you can. You know?
0: It's an, it job. So, it's an endless job. It's
1: an endless job. It's an endless job. It's an endless job. You know, like we talked about spots. I don't think the one thing I didn't mention was that, you know, you have to be smart enough to know what's predictive and what's not predictive. I mean, talk about reading guys. You know, you would read, I would read some guys and literally they'd be writing stuff like, you know, the last three times, uh, you know, San Francisco was in Oakland, you know, uh, you know, when it, you know, when it, when, when the, when the traffic was bad, or something, they would say things that were not going to be predicted. You know what I mean? Like, like, wait a minute. No, that's, what does that have to do with the game? No, that's not, that's just, because you could data mine and you could come up with all sorts of spot play just by data mining, by, by looking for things that, you know, this happened seven out of 10 times. Or this happened nine out of 10 times. or This happened 250 out of 275 times. You know? But if it's, if it's like, you know, uh, you know, there was, you know, who knows, Uh, like if it's not, if it doesn't have something to do with directly with the game, you know what I mean? And and usually the stuff they'd find would have something to do with the game, but you got to use some common sense. If it's not predictive, if it's not really going to matter, you you need to know that. You need to discount that and focus on the stuff that does matter. And I can't think of many examples right now, because it's been so long since I've done this, but there was a lot of writers that would write stuff that would, and they'd come up with these different plays and like, that is not going to be predictive. That is not going to matter. And then the other thing with that too is the subsets matter there too, because sometimes you'd be in a set where you were in a good spot, you're in a larger set, but like let's just say it was a revenge spot, right? But wait a minute, something happened in the game where you, let's say, yeah, you won the game, so so team B has revenge against team A, but let's just say uh, team A is pissed because team B, you know, hurt their quarterback or hurt their you know star running back, you know, cheap shot. Now, wait a minute, now you're in a subset that does not apply. That's not really, wait, they're, they're more than this team. You know what I mean? So things like that, I'm just trying to think of examples. Uh, I didn't do a whole lot of that, but you, you have to be able to use common sense. A lot of that towards the end of the season really matters. You know what I mean? Because sometimes teams are in the playoffs or out of the playoffs. So you've got to discount these spots at these players. So you can find plenty of spots by doing reading. You will find them, and some of them are really good. You know, they're all out there. If you're, the toughest part as the handicapper is to decide which ones you want to bet on And I would say the answer to that is using common sense and looking at the subsets and, and the specific situation. Does this apply to this game? Because a lot of times it doesn't and, or a lot of times it double applies. So you got to really be
0: aware. Overnights, overnights. Are you big into betting overnights for the day-to-day sports, like a baseball or basketball? No,
1: not not day-to-day. No, because there's no market. You know what I mean? And you don't know. And and I didn't handicap those sports. So I would if I was a handicapper, I'm sure. I'd love to grab that. But then again, even the the market would be so small if you were a handicapper. Even me, like I'm sure Walter's hitting my freaking guts because I would bet into a small market. But for me, 30 grand was 30 grand. I'm taking it. You know what I mean? Let's say, like, you know, uh, the the casinos are using more than 10, 10 and a half, 11 on a football game, and and the offshores are using nine, and he wants a big bet there on the dog. I would, I would not hesitate to grab the 10 and a halfs and 11s because I get 20, 30 grand. I'm a very, very happy camper. You know, that's a big bet for me. Whereas he would probably be like, you know, that's less than the juice on he one of his bets. So he would be furious and frustrated. But the same thing applies on day-to-day sports for me. So now if I make a game, a basketball game, if I was him, got I made it five, and the lines you know, nine somewhere and seven and a half somewhere else, you're going to bet $1,500 plus nine? I mean, come on. Like, you're, you're really going to do that? Like, um, that doesn't make any sense. You know, you're not sure, if you, you know, if you leave it alone, maybe it's settled in at nine or higher, you know, you don't know. So it wouldn't make sense to me. I I don't remember exactly how liquid the overnight lines were from the day to day sports, but I rem- they were low. It was the best low. So it was almost not worth it to me to, to not bet the overnights in football where, you know, that's the NFL. They're big limits, you know, so definitely not day to day for me anyway.
0: Gotcha. So, all right. So, um, now let's get into the two thousands. You know, you, you're, you're still um you're still in Vegas, or, or do you, you want to come? And, you want to believe in Vegas, or go back to by two thousands? I was doing both. I was going back and forth,
1: you know, and I was trying to um like, not no, actually by two thousands, I don't even think I had an office anymore. I think I just relied on fat, and maybe if we had a couple runners, we gave him the fat, and he just handled them. You know, by that point, I was back. I was home. You know, they passed that law in like nine, in Vegas, they passed a law where you're not allowed to bet out of state, from the state. I was the only idiot who like respected that and was like worried about it. So I went home and I was like, shit, this is a bad law. Everybody else just stayed and got their brains out all over the country and down South and all that. Nobody even was, And then, by the way, I never even heard of anyone getting raided for it. But I was like, oh no, here it comes. they are going to crack down. You know, I can't, I can't be sitting here in this room, you know, committing this, breaking this law every single day to week, betting all over the world. So I moved home where there was no such law. And I bet all over the place. You know, I just had to worry about getting raided to hear, but I never did,
0: you know. Gotcha. So when did you wind up calling it quits? Um, you know, I, I you know, <laughs> let's, let's, you know, towards I, the end, I think I was, late 2000s it yeah,
1: was? Yeah. yeah. In the uh, late 2000s, I totally quit.
0: And I was always
1: looking to get out. And even in the 90s, I was looking to be like, to do something I would buy a business. I got a deli, I bought a bar, I bought a restaurant. And I would run these businesses and, and uh, think that they were going to be my new profession because gambling was, you know, no good. Uh, just a lot of bad endings in gambling. You know, we had, we had people get murdered. You know, Jimmy Perlow got murdered. And we think sweet old Bob, this runner, got murdered, you know. So it, was, wasn't, it wasn't something I wanted to do. I was wanting to get out. But I never, you know, I'd buy a restaurant. I would make a little bit of money. But nothing compared to gambling. Like, you wake up and, like, I'm going back to work. I got to make some real money. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to sit here and do this, you know. So, I finally found a business in the in the mid 2000s you know, like two thousand six. I found it in two thousand seven, I really started moving on it, that was much more could be much more profitable than the gambling. And it was. In the end, it was way more profitable. Gambling, you know, it's something to see everyone loves this gambling. But it's tough. imagine so think about it this way, Spank, you're betting let's say you're betting fifty grand a game in NSL and you're good and you got like a three percent advantage, okay? Oh, it's gonna be, let's be honest, you know. So you, you so you got two million dollars in action, total, size, whatever. Three percent is sixty thousand a week times twenty-five weeks. You know, it's not a lot of money. You throw in some earns, maybe you're gonna make two million dollars. But now I got some people that are getting a piece, you know what I mean? And do have some expenses, you know what I mean? So make a million dollars. So you like I was like the third best in the world at this, and I was making a million dollars. Like I could be the one thousand third best in the stock market and make a million dollars a week. Mm. So it wasn't, you know, the liquidity, you have two choices when you're in the gambling business. If you want to make more than that, you can, you can wait until the line settle in and just start betting right in the painted numbers and writing right up against opposition and be like, so you're taking four and a half and somebody else is laying four and it's still four and a half and it stays there so much that you can get hundreds of thousands of dollars. on. It. So there's a problem with that. I <laughs> mean, someone else is betting the other way, mm. right? Or you could do the other thing that like a lot. So I think Walters does all this, all the above, but you could develop slow outs all over the country. You know what I mean? But there's another problem with that too, because that's a lot of, that's that's like the meta focus that would develop and and how hard that would be. Well, I don't have to tell you, it's hard, right? And and develop a network of slow outs all over the place where you can get, and even that network wasn't good for me because remember, I'm betting, I was a professional handicapper in football. So I'm betting Sunday night, Monday morning, by like Monday afternoon, I'm done. Everything I want to have down on, I'm down. I'm just kind of guarding positions, adding a little here and there, subtracting maybe if something happens. But basically I'm down by like Monday. Most of my good stuff that I want is done. I can't wait for these, you know, for the bookmaker in Detroit to put a line up Monday night. You know what I mean? So it doesn't it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. me move over here. I don't
0: know if that makes sense. To you. No, it's, you had such an impact on the business and, um, you know, anybody that's a who's who in this business knows of how sharp you were and, and, and what you've done in the industry. And I, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, in closing, I always like to ask, you know, the name of the podcast is called Be Better Betters. And, you know, you've already given so much knowledge and so much insight, but um, if you kind of like, you know, dwindle it down to just maybe a bullet point or a couple of bullet points what would you say, you know, what advice would you give to an up-and-comer or, or somebody starting off or even a pro um, on how to be a better, better Um, I would say, stay in
1: your lane. Pick one sport. You know, even if it's, it's not even the whole sport, maybe just be – just. I would say, first of all, totals are easier than size. Nobody really realizes that, but they're easier than size. So I would say pick one thing. And focus on that. And if, if, like say it's college football, pick one division, you know, just stay in the SEC or something like that. And just focus on that. You know what I mean? Or focus if it's the NFL because you need to know everything about every team that your team plays and everybody they play to be in good hands. So so keep your keep your focus really small and really and really focus on that, and then focus on the numbers. If that makes sense. So just be really careful what you bet, and uh, at the numbers you bet them at. And don't try and handicap everything. You know what I mean? It's too hard. You got to stay focused.
0: I agree. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Stay focused. That's the bottom line. I really appreciate you coming on, brother. It really means a lot, brother. Thank you so much for doing this. I know you don't talk to anybody. I know you're a really, you know, low-key guy. And, uh, you know, it means a lot for you to, to, you know, take the time to do this.
1: Yeah, anytime, Frank.
0: It was good to see you, man. Good seeing you too, brother. Thanks so much, man.
1: Okay, bud. All right. I'll talk to you.
0: Take care. I hope you guys had a pen and paper and took some notes, because that right there was a PhD in sports betting from one of the best in the world, and uh, one of the most successful gamblers that I ever knew personally, and uh, and I think that's, you know, has ever been around when it comes to sports betting, so, um, you know, he don't do interviews, and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed taping it. Thanks so much for the time. Until next time.